0: Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. So good to have you. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas. We're so thrilled to have you tuning in live with us. Many people are. Louis Robbie says, don't tell me you're working today, Link. And I go, it's not work if you enjoy what you're doing. That's what I don't want to tell everybody. But yeah, we're in here because we enjoy making a difference. And we love hearing from so many of you. I was talking to someone else about the podcast, how much they get out of it. And I want to just thank all of our listeners. So Merry Christmas to all our listeners and all of those of you that are sending so much positive feedback. Appreciate it so much. Even those that don't, we're just knowing that you're there. We love hearing from from you and always open to ideas of what we could do to make the podcast even more effective. Many of the changes we make come as a direct result of comments we hear from you. So anyway, welcome everybody. It's Monday, December 28th, just between New Year's and Christmas. And we're excited to have you here. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're always grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Anyway, in this Hot topic segment today, I'm really excited about about having someone that when well, I need to get picked up or need to get cheered up a little bit or get motivated, I call this person. Her name is Jessica Peterson and she's in sunny Florida. She has a sunny disposition, perfect place for her to live. She's the co founder of the Simply Wow Agency and she's published seven books and she's also a TEDx speaker. We're going to be having Jessica on in the Hot Topic segment talking about the new year and what you can do to just make your life wow. And we're going to be talking about Lux. UX, how to make your life luxurious. So anyway, we're proud to be a part of the Industry Syndicate and you can check out all the podcasts on IndustrySyndicate.com as well as Mortgage Media, as well as our sponsor. We're so glad to be members of the Mortgage Bankers Association of America. And if you're not members, you need to become one. Either way, if you're not, you still need to sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance, a free service to members and non-members and get the downloads so that you can have your voice heard on the Hill, especially on portion initiatives that are going on on the hill. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Finastra, whose Fusion Mortgage Bot solution sets custom decisioning parameters to help you streamline the approval process and keeping your lending team compliant and efficient. And so I would just encourage you to check out Finastra.com. We're going to be having Dan Putney on the podcast here coming up. We had Steve Hope back August 24th. Go back and listen to that podcast. That was good. Also, Lenders One, we had Justin Amolia on. We're working on having them back on here as we get into the new year. The Mortgage Collaborator. We had Tom Gallucci on here on December 7th. That was a good podcast. But both these two co ops, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative, do a great job of helping lender and vendor members get closer to what's going on with each other. And it's a great experience. We pick up more business, and more clients as a result of our membership with both of these. So, real benefit to being members of both. Also, Community Mortgage Lenders of America, we had Michael Jones on on September 22nd of this year. And that was a good interview. encourage you to check that out, as well as Indicom. They have so many powerful services that will really help you in so many ways, as well as accelerate. This is a leading edge technology and mortgage expertise technology that helps you create custom campaigns to enhance the borrower engagement. Go listen to the interview we did with Josh Friend, August 17th, as well as our friends at Celebrity Home Loans and Novian, which does a great job of optimizing your mortgage executions. Listen to the interview we did with Ted Kramer on December 14th. Moving on, Modex, as well as Mobility. Both really interesting technologies. I think the key is to be using the right technologies to move forward into the new year, 2021. So anyway, special thank you also goes out to Alice, Alan, and Matt for their contributions each and every week. But let's get over and listen to what Les Parker has to say about the macro view of the markets. Les? TM Spot by Soundbite is brought to you by PowerSeller, making hedging easy. Bonds going nowhere. Somebody help the best. They're staying alive! Just before Christmas, the 10 year yield fell three basis points short of 1%. It's the third time in 50 days that it attacked 1%. Each time the dollar pushed lower immediately prior to or simultaneously with the attempts. Mortgages responded mildly. Peace rules in the mortgage world, but for how long? Despite the Fed's efforts to keep rates low and calm, Look for a rocky ending to 2020 and a berry start to 2021. Expect to see 3.5% mortgages next year.
2: Stay
0: stay keep keep stay on staying alive. alive. These views are my own. Want more? Go to tmspotlight.com. Yeah. Good music. I like that. Interesting. First prediction of where interest rates are going to be as we head into the new year. Les Parker, check out the whole tmspotlight.com website and subscribe to Les's free newsletter. If you use the word power, as for power seller, you'll get the paid version for free. So check it out. Let's get over to Matt Graham. He's dialed in. Do you have a good Christmas, Matt?
2: Yeah, definitely. A different Christmas, right?
0: Yeah. What's your report today on what's going on in the economics? Well, I mean, Les, Covered it. I'm devastated.
2: It's like he got in my head and said exactly what I was going to say to close with today, but I'll put a a little bit of a different spin on it or flesh it out a little bit. But yeah, that is going to be sort of the warning. One that I have delivered previously and will probably reiterate today is that we've been largely lulled into a bit of a false sense of security one might even say we're setting up to get hoodwinked or sucker punched by the market for a few logical reasons but reasons we haven't had to deal with before so it's going to be all the more surprising for a lot of people who have gotten very used to the ability of the mortgage market to completely ignore the broader bond market. And again, we can and account for the reasons that has occurred, and they're all very logical. And it's just as logical that they are not permanent. So we'll talk about that at the end here, real quick, a little That's bit of a teaser to get people to stay tuned in for the <laughs> rest of the segment. So last week. of an interesting week despite it being shorter than normal i'll cover last week real quick first up right out of the gate over the weekend the buzz was this new covid strain and you probably heard about it from your friends people sent links it really gathered a lot of momentum by sunday and that was definitely apparent in market on monday morning stocks had tanked bond yields were much lower and it lasted maybe a few hours before some scientific type people said, hey, this news train is going to respond just the same to the vaccine, so everybody go about your business. And that's what markets did. We bounced back up to previous levels and thus the holiday-shortened week began in typical uneventful holiday-shortened fashion with bonds holding fairly steady. There was a fair amount of economic data on tap Tuesday and Wednesday. Here's a quick rundown, GDP roughly as expected, 33.4 versus 33.1, existing home Sales stayed eller They are not screaming to new long-term highs, but they are holding a extremely high levels overall core pce the inflation metric that the fed wants to see running between two and two point five percent came in at one point four percent which was a tenth lower than expected jobless claims recovered a little bit down to 803 versus 885 previously durable good probably the headliner of the week from a street cred standpoint from economic data that came in a little bit better than expected 0.9 versus 0.6 and the previous month was revised up to 1.8 from 1.3, so that sounds pretty good. But there's an internal component of that called uh, Core CapEx, which strips out some of the more volatile components, and that came in a little bit lower than expected. So offsetting penalties back to repeat first down. Home prices, really, really impressive here. FHFA home prices anyway, 10.2% year over year.
0: That's astonishing. I just was amazed at that number.
2: Yeah, definitely. And one of the reasons we had such a nice increase in conforming loan limits, and that was up from 9 9- last month, and these are annualized numbers, by the way. But breaking into double digits in a year is something we haven't done since the housing market was arguably on an unsustainable path. So uh, some people might start to wonder if that's going to be the case again, but I don't necessarily have an opinion. I think that prices have been squeezed by the uncommon circumstances surrounding COVID. New home sales, however, fell finally, and in a fairly big way relative to what they've been doing. If you compared the report we got last week, any other month that we've had apart from maybe the previous month, it would be among the highest we've seen. And last but not least, consumer sentiment. And it came in at 80.7 versus 81.3. So no major suggestion or indication there. Markets closed early on Thursday and then were fully closed on Friday, obviously. The big news after that COVID stuff was COVID-related stimulus. And that's been a big deal for the bond market for a long time. Stimulus is paid for with treasury issuing treasury issuance creates more supply supply demand 101 when you have more of it then prices go down and when bond prices go down yields go up bond markets know this, and they knew stimulus was coming if not this week then early next year and it didn't have a big impact as to short-term volatility but there was a little bit of movement left due to the confirmation So markets can prepare for something almost completely, but they tend to save a little bit of extra momentum once the thing itself is ultimately confirmed. And I think heading into the weekend, they were waiting to see what was up with this veto threat. And when Trump signed the bill yesterday, we did have a little bit of extra weakness coming into the domestic session this morning, and treasuries are still weaker as a result. Treasuries could also be a little bit weaker due to the auction cycle, And we've actually already had two of the auctions already. So that's interesting because normally we have... Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are your normal treasury auction days. But due to this being another holiday week, we had both the two-year and the five-year auction the day already, and the seven-year will happen tomorrow. That'll be the end of the auction cycle. It's not uncommon on these low-liquidity weeks to see bonds being a little bit more defensive and hesitant heading into the auction and then to sort of breathe a sigh of relief on the other end. So 1 p.m. tomorrow after the seven-year auction, we might look to see what's going on with the bond market to see if there's an inexplicable level of strength shining through. So this week, holiday shortened again. Here's what we got going on. We got case chiller home prices coming up tomorrow, and those are expected to increase as well. Although they do things a little differently than FHFA, so not quite as big of an increase. That consumer confidence seen coming in just a bit better than last time on Wednesday. We have Chicago PMI forecast at 57 versus 58.2 previously. Chicago PMI is an important report. Some have suggested that it does a good job of mirroring nationwide economic conditions as opposed to just the Chicago Federal Reserve District. And then we have pending home sales the same morning, expected to stay flat after losing a little bit of ground last month. But there again, that's a report that has been outstanding. So really any week home sales is is pretty much just an incidental fizzling after an epic fireworks display this year. Another early close on Thursday, fully closed on Friday and month slash year-end trading. So this is an interesting little market mover, not super easy for everybody to understand, but it's a good piece of trivia here as well so there are different types of traders different types of accounts that trade with different motivations one of the key market movers for the bond market is money managers that have to reallocate their holdings based on what their people are investing. So if you click the low risk, high risk, whatever kind of box on your 401k or your managed fund, then these money managers have to go in and adjust their holdings accordingly. The key fund that does that for bonds is the Barclays Aggregate Treasury Index. And heading into the end of any given month, the index itself will publish updates as to what the duration needs to be for bondholders. Holdings, if you're holding that index. And then those money managers set about selling, buying, whatever they need to sell and buy to get their average duration to line up with what the index extension says it needs to be. And that can have an impact on trading in the bond market for no other apparent reason. Things could move relatively briskly, and you might say, Oh, what's causing this? Or you might see an economic report that just came out and blame that, even though it is instead the fact that you have this month end trading going on that it's sort of an unseen hand moving the market. And when you're at the end of a quarter or the end of the year, that can get even bigger. Now, money managers aside, you can have balance sheet considerations where certain firms are trying to show a bigger cash position at the end of the year. They might do that by selling super liquid stuff like treasury. So that can be another reason that bonds would be moving at the end of the year. This year, it seems like we're really settling into a very narrow sideways range to less point, you know, 1.0 or maybe on a more. Our modal standpoint, uh, 0.96 would be the ceiling that we've been bouncing at time and again. And our ability to hold under that ceiling in 10-year treasury yields has been nothing short of impressive, really nice support there. It's nice for now, but the thing that I'm worried about, and to go back to the warning I alluded to at the beginning, is that treasuries have been telling a story ever since the beginning of August. And the story they're telling is a logical story, and it's the story that we're all rooting for on a personal level, which is the end of COVID. And assuming everything goes according to plan with vaccines and whatnot, then treasuries have been doing exactly what we would expect them to do which is rising very gradually and in a very linear way in yield weakening weaker bond markets since august and it's like a a straight line you can't really overemphasize just how linear this channel is that's what we call these railroad tracks that you put around a chart of higher highs and higher lows so in any other year at any other time dave this would be like a big cause for concern for mortgage rates in fact we would expect to see mortgage rates rising Throughout that time. Instead, what have we had? Morgan (laughs) rates falling to all time low after all time low. Okay, that's odd. Here's Treasury saying we're supposed to be going in the other direction. I know we talked about this before, but maybe not everybody's heard it. And the reason for that twofold. Uh, Number one, MBS have been outperforming Treasuries significantly. And uh, part of the reason they outperformed at first was because they underperformed back in March and had some ground to cover. But then as Treasury yields got super low and stayed super low, MBS represented a good value proposition to investors looking for higher yields, but still with the implicit government guarantee, even on Fannie and Freddie stuff, Uh, due to the conservatorship. And that kept foreign participation really solid. And then on top of that value proposition for yields, you also had the Fed seemingly extremely committed to the mortgage market and not really showing any signs that, that they're worried that they're buying too much, even though there are signs of that in the MBS market that would take quite a long time to discuss but anyway you had the Fed and you had investor demand creating MBS outperformance meaning MBS were sort of holding steady or even sometimes improving even as treasuries were weakening, that's uncommon, and it helped mortgage rates. The other thing that helped mortgage rates is lender margin, that's the big one. Simply put, lenders weren't able to lower rates as quickly as MBS said they could and just due to capacity constraints. You know, you lower rates too much, a couple bad things happen, your service suffers, you might have lock fallout, and lock fallout is, is the big one. So if you're lowering rates so quickly that the people you just refied all of a sudden turn around and want to refi again, now you're really hurting the value of the MBS that you're trying to sell because investors are relying on a certain number of months of interest payments in order to uh, have the price that they're willing to pay make sense. At any rate, lenders can only lower their rates as quickly as makes sense in terms of capacity, the cushion. It's been a well of outperformance, a well of immunity that uh, MBS and mortgage rates specifically have had against rising rates in treasury yields. But that well is not running dry, but is running low. And it's been getting small enough that people need to understand that if you've been looking at treasuries and looking at mortgage rates and thinking, oh, we're fine. Mortgage rates are invincible. They're not. That will change early in 2021. Now it could be a couple weeks into 2021, could be a month Maybe two, but it is going to change. And then we're going to see a more traditional relationship between treasuries and mortgage rates. The only saving grace would be that this is so obvious and the rising rate trend in treasuries is so obvious that sometimes we see traders do the counterintuitive thing just because something is so obvious. Not everybody can make money if everybody's betting in the same direction. So if treasuries happen to improve as a result of this sort of bet making and position taking, then of course, mortgage rates are going to be able to hold more steady, possibly even improve a bit more because there is a bit more cushion that lenders could use to push rates lower to keep their pipelines full if they need to do that. A dire warning, not, not a bad warning to have when you're looking at rates in the mid 2% range, but a warning on the left.
0: Yeah, still going to have overall lower rates as we head in the new year. Should be. Should be low. We're holding steady at the very least
2: for the the new year, no question. And uh, we could even eke out a few more gains, but increasing resistance from here on out.
0: Yeah, headwinds start picking up. Good job. Appreciate it, Matt. Very much. Happy holidays all around. Check out Matt's website, mbslive.net, and I recommend you subscribe if you haven't already done so. Many of our LOL listeners have written me and said, hey, love this new website. Thanks for having Matt on. And they all appreciate the extended trial period. If you put in LOL and no credit card is required. Thanks so much, Matt. Alice Alvey, is good to have you here with us, my dear. You and Andy have a good Christmas.
3: Yes, we did, but very quiet. My mother moved in with us, which we just loved, and so it was just the three of us.
0: By the way, for those of you, are new listeners, Alice Alvey is the CMB Vice President of Education and Training at our beloved Union Home Mortgage. She's got this week's legislative update, and so Merry Christmas to all the folks there at Union Home. What you got for us?
3: Well, as everybody knows, right, the bill got signed into law last night with a, a lot of issues out there that people don't agree and agree with, right? So there was a lot of things to talk about and there's lots of summaries out in various news avenues. It's, it's almost 5,600 pages. And so I go through it and i kind of search for keywords like forbearance, eviction, mortgage, right? Try and find our sections within it. And it's just crazy. It's going to take quite a long time over the next couple of weeks to really dig into what it means for the mortgage industry. Obviously HUD got plenty of money. It does look like too, that we also have funds, even for the HUD 223D, which is healthcare facilities, where they can apply for grants. Uh, There was quite a bit of money given so that healthcare facilities can apply to get... For example, a year's worth of their loan payments and taxes and other expenses to cover some of their overhead if they're struggling during the pandemic. There's emergency capital investment programs that is $9 billion fund within this, right? So we're still dissecting it. We'll talk more about this over the next few shows as we really get to the bottom of what it means for the mortgage industry. So I wanted to give folks a heads up. We'll take a look at it and we'll keep talking about it there's lots in here related to mortgage finance. Another thing I want to give folks a heads up is your ERLA testing, right? The new 1003, we were able to start using it as an industry on December 8th. A few lenders have, but what we're discovering in talking to some other companies is that there are some challenges that are coming up in testing related to the automated underwriting system submissions. So we're really stressing with lenders. Having focused testing and really knowing what you're doing in this area is going to save you a lot of grief. You really have to come up with structured checklists of here are all the wild scenarios you wouldn't have even thought of and make sure you're really uh, pushing through to your vendors. And that includes Fannie and Freddie. There are Mm -hmm. some issues there. So just wanted to give everybody a heads up.
0: By the way, someone just wrote, uh, new to the industry, what is EARL? It stands for the Uniform Residential Loan Application form. The section referred to for decades is uh, the 1003. And uh, the a
3: key thing about the new loan application is that really it's about dynamic forms. Some of the questions, how the loan officer will be interviewing the borrower will change how they hold that conversation. The dramatic bigness of this is all the behind the scenes. Those are the big things I wanted to cover today. It's the end of the year, so we don't want to overload folks. You know, this is the time of year. Too, you have the tendency to look at a retrospect. Sometimes we kind of look back and see what happened in 2020. And really, the biggest thing was all the COVID underwriting changes that are still in place today. We called them temporary, too, and dealing with it economically from an underwriting standpoint will still be with us in our underwriting philosophies uh, for many months to come, I think.
0: Very good. Appreciate it. Great report. Thank you so much. Happy New Year to you and Andy and your family. And hope you celebrate it safely and have a wonderful time. I know if you're with Andy, you'll have. A wonderful time. Alan Pollack with the innovation technology and everything new. What's going on, friend? Happy Christmas. Uh, Thank you so
1: much. Yeah, it was it was great. Thanks for asking. And, and how about you? Good. Real good.
0: Excellent. What's going to be in the new year for new year technology?
1: Yeah. So anyways, David, I saw this one thing online. It's the three biggest fears of our generation. And I thought this was great because as we look at 2021 and really everything that's going to happen, But the three biggest things you'll never guess. The first one, and these are images, which I'll try and illustrate verbally, is the Wi-Fi signal on your phone that has the Mm -hmm. five bars and only the one little circle dot at the bottom is lit and part of the next one. That's the one biggest fear of our generation. The second one is the waiting icon. So you're on a web page and you just have this circle with dots and you're just waiting and nothing comes because our next generation expects, or the generation of today, expects everything to be instant. And then the final one is the battery icon that we all have on our phones that has just a little sliver of battery left and it's red. So those are the three biggest fears of our generation. So if you can think about how to originate loans. I was with a good friend this weekend from the industry, actually yesterday, and 2020 is the year of the things that make you go, hmm. I don't know if you remember that song back in the 90s. Well, he said to me, how come no one has disrupted PMI? Why do we even need PMI? How come no tech provider has disrupted PMI? I said, that's a good question. So we started talking, we spent 30 minutes talking about why is there PMI and who does it really support and how often are there claims against PMI? I don't have all those answers, I'm not gonna pretend to, but it was a very interesting conversation. So if there's any tech folks out there. I'm sure the PMI companies have the good answers to why PMI is truly needed and how important it is. And I'm definitely not saying it's not, but no one has disrupted PMI. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, uh, David.
0: Well, you know, we've looked at PMI, we look at title insurance and some of the things that have been around forever that seem to be there. I think we got some new innovation coming in the new year. I think we could see the world of MI possibly changing, but we need some type of insurance to cover the risk. Yeah. I went down to the eighty percent. Some type of thing will be there, but is it going to be you know private mortgage insurance? I mean, like we have now, is it going to be something else? We shall see.
1: So, two quick topics. The first one is to hire a consultant or not. And and you know, there's different kinds, right, David? You do a lot of consulting. You have for years, and I know that you would say a hundred percent you have to hire a consultant. And I've also done some consulting, and the answer is yes, you have to consider hiring a consultant, but on the technology side, things can be a little more difficult. And I just want to throw this out there real quick. You're looking for an expert opinion. You're looking for somebody that has knowledge, but is not in debt to the different things that are going on within your organization. And they're not looking at the rabbit moving left and right or they're stuck on back-to-back phone calls or they have different goals for different folks you're looking at bringing someone in who is 100 percent dedicated and aligned with your corporate strategy and many times they will report directly to you or they will report to your team and their sole job will be success and milestones and milestones to meet those goals which ultimately in the end is The ability for them to make money and continue to be hired on a monthly basis or a project basis. So to hire a consultant in technology, when you have multiple vendors and multiple departments and you have training and QA, sometimes development to keep things aligned and on track to always know that there's different forces coming from different angles is probably an extremely smart decision that you can make in 2021. Even if you have all of the right components of that staff and the people you need, hiring an outside technology consultant will definitely help you bring an outside opinion to help bring them more aligned and will help move that forward. doesn't mean you need a consultant for the entire year. It doesn't mean you need them for a very long period of time. Sometimes it's just project-based. Sometimes you can keep them on a small amount of advisory consulting hours, but I wanted to mention that. So... Moving into 2021, I've got some great stuff for next week, so happy new year to everybody. I will tell you that next year is going to be big with KYC. That's know your customer. Going mobile, instant information, auto-filling the application, digital data, signatures, mobile, 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 and RPA, RPA, RPA. I mean, automating the back end of the system, of the process, lowering our costs, handling this volume that's going to continue to come at us. 2021 is going to be big. It's Know your customers, not just technology, by the way. It's the handheld, the personal touch. It's also the technology piece. It's everything you do for that customer to help them get the home of their dreams. That's 2021. Blockchain, we'll see. Conservatorship, David, we talked about that technology will rule in 2021. Absolutely. So make sure you look at those consultants if you need to. And, and we'll talk more next year. Have a great year, everyone. It's been fantastic. Thank you for being our listeners and looking forward to our Hot
0: Topic. Know your customer. Can't wait to hear more about that. That is so true. Excellent. Alan, thank you so much. Appreciate you being here, friend. Folks, that wraps up our, our regular mortgage update, the first half of the podcast. Folks, have a great and happy new year. Thank you goes out to our sponsors, Finastra, as well as the Community Mortgage Lenders Association of America, as well as Indicom, Accelerate Mobility RE, and Modex. Check out all of our sponsors on our sponsorship page. Have a great week, everybody. Appreciate you, and happy new year. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin,
1: of
2: Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.